James is um, James is going to talk about something today that's uh, that's important for us as Americans to get a hold of. But I, I got to tell you, can I just be a little? Anybody ever have those? Uh, we call them defrag dreams. I don't have dreams very often, but when when you go when you're running and running and running and and then all of a sudden you get into a deep sleep, you have one of those crazy dreams. I have a reoccurring crazy dream. It's got nothing to do with the sermon, but I just thought it'd be funny to start out this morning with it. Um, it's always me on stage unprepared. And so it was, it was the same dream, but just unprepared in a different way. I was in a, like a more traditional church and it was, it was kind of full like this more traditional church though. And, uh, and I got on stage, I had no notes. I didn't have my iPad like I typically do. And I didn't even have a Bible with me and I was panicking a little bit. Now I'm a fixer type guy. So I thought I can, I can make this work. I'm going to figure it out. So I thought, okay, I think, I think there's probably Bibles on the pews. And so I run down, but this is, this would be like me running down right now. That was a weird part. So I'm panicking a little bit. I run down. All I can find is hymnals. Like I can't preach from a hymnal. Blessed assurance isn't the deal today, so I can't find that. And then I, I thought, okay, Chris, you're gonna have to wing it. So I get back up, and so we have a person in the back that changes the slides. On, on the, I call them slides. I don't even know if that's what I should call them anymore. For whatever reason, that person was standing right here, and they were doing it wrong. So every time I'd say something, I look at them and I'm like, heck, keep up. And then I realized it was six o'clock and I had to use the bathroom. So I woke up. <laughs> so I don't know what that meant. If any of you are like Daniel, and can interpret dreams. No, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> so it reminds me to prepare because one day you might lose your iPad. Amen. His word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against him. That way, if you forget your Bible or your iPad, you still don't have to sin. Mm. Stand to your feet. We're going to talk about James chapter four. I don't name my sermons very often, but I, um, I named this one. I called it, I got this. The arrogance of self-reliance. I got this. James chapter four, verse 13, James writes says, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a midst that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to rely on you. You're the author and finisher of our faith. You know, the beginning from the end, there's nothing hidden from you. So we pray, Lord, that we'd be a church that allows you to direct our steps, that there be no arrogance found in us to boast about. Thank you today for your good word to us. And we pray that we'd be transformed by it. In Jesus name. We pray. And everybody said, amen. And amen. You may be seated. 
James is continuing to address the church and he he's talking to them about a kind of seems a little specific. He said, hey, all of you that didn't make all these plans to do things. He was addressing a specific group of people that were doing business. It wasn't uncommon for people back then to make things or or um, trade in things that they had made. So they would travel to another city and stay and, and, and sell and trade and all that, that type of thing. It wasn't uncommon for that. And James was not, James was not telling the church that they couldn't do that. James wasn't saying, um, don't make plans. He wasn't saying, don't try to be industrious. Don't, don't try to make a profit. He wasn't saying any of that. I actually think that what we've already talked about, James wanted the church to be successful. Amen? He said, I want you to have so many good deeds that it proves out your faith. And so he encouraged that. But we get to chapter four and he starts to drill down on the, on, on the specif- specifications of how he wanted people to plan. And so he, what he what he starts to point out is that many of you are guessing. That's what he's telling him. He said, you're guessing. We guess at things. He said, you plan on going to this town or that town. You're going to stay a year. You're going to buy and sell and make a profit. He said, at best you're guessing at it. Uh, we, we do this. We, we plan. If you looked at my Google calendar right now, probably make you dizzy. It's a good thing I'm colorblind. We plan and we plan and we plan and we plan and we plan. And, and we make plans because diligent people make plans, correct? And if you put in your Google calendar, God already approved it. Yeah. Or he, I mean, he could delete it. I, I gave him permissions. We're not unlike the weatherman in a lot of respects. When you think about it, the people that do the weather, they're good people. They're good people. But you know, like I do, that, that a lot of predicting the weather can be taken with a grain of salt. Amen? So if they're, if they're predicting a sunny day and you wash your car, you already know. It's going to rain. I don't care what they said. Rain's coming. How do you know the rain's coming? Just wash my car. You make all these plans, and, and what we find out is that the plans are about as good as the paper they're written on sometimes. Not worth the whole lot. Um, I, asked the, I asked first service this. How, how many of you, we could all agree that 2020 has been a little bit different. Just a just a. Um, just to drill down on this a little bit, how, how many of you in January of 2020 uh, reorganized your stock portfolio to include COVID-19? Any, anybody? Anybody do that? How, how many of you, how many of you looked at your kids in January and said, hey, listen, I don't want to freak you out, but next year you're going to be doing school online. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to set up a school outside the house because I don't want you in here bugging me. We didn't do that. If you were like me, in November of last year, our staff went away 
And we put down, we had 12 foot long sheets of paper and we mapped out six months at a time. And like the Holy Spirit fell down on it and the paper was glowing. And we prayed. It was like, yes, thus saith the Lord. This is how it's going to be. We were going to celebrate the one year anniversary of this church building, this, this building right here. We're going to celebrate the one year anniversary around, around Easter, April. We moved in last year, April 14th. And I think it translated this year to the 15th or the 13th or something like that. But it was right around there. We were going to have our one year anniversary here. We were going to celebrate the fact that we had built a building and got it finished uh, ahead of schedule. We had financed less than we thought we were going to. I mean, it was a dream story. It was me and the band here. That's not what we had planned. We had a blowout party planned. Man, this is, we get to celebrate a year and it's right around Easter. This is going to be the biggest Easter we've ever had. The biggest Easter we ever had was online. I think it was actually the biggest Easter we ever had, but nobody was here to celebrate. We're planning. I mean, planning machines. James says, make up all these plans. Say you're going to go do this, go here, go there. And you're going to spend a year here and you're going to buy and sell. You're going to make a profit and you make all these plans. You know what makes me better at making plans? Success. Anybody else? Like you try something once and it works. And then what do you do? You just plan it the same way next time. You're like, hey, I'm getting pretty good at this. It worked twice. And then you just start making that part of your deal. Like, I'm, I just know how to do it. I just start planning and I've got the thing down and I don't have to think about it. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And I'm going to be successful and I'm going to make money. And it's going to be great. And look at me and I've gotten there and I've done it all. And it's so good. James said, at best, even with experience, you're guessing at it. But there's this little thing that happens. Success. Mm. Success is a tricky thing. For me, success is a very tricky thing because um, I like it. Anybody else? Anybody else like it when you're successful? You go into work and everybody's like, oh, we couldn't do it without you. You're like, (laughs) just now figuring that out, huh? Been here 10 years. Kind of knew it before I started. That's why you hired me. We, we kind of get like, Lord, look what, look what I've done. Look what I've been able to put together. Now, now I'm just being a little transparent with you. If you want to listen to me preach to myself, you're more than welcome to sit there. So for about the next five minutes, it's going to be me talking to me. All right? Lord, look, look how difficult it was and look how I pulled it off. I mean, with your help. I mean, after all, I did pray and ask you to bless it, but we, but we came up with a good plan, Lord. Look how we, look how we persevered and pulled through and look how we made these happen and made that happen. And, um, and, and I can, Lord, you've given me the ability to fix anything. 
And I like the feeling of getting to the other end of it and having it work out just like I wanted it to. Sometimes even better than I wanted it to. And so now, in light of me being successful, Lord, I'm going to plan, I'm going to start planning on the idea of me being successful. Because any successful person would plan on the fact that you're going to continue being successful. Amen? I mean, after all, I've got a, I've got a track history of being successful. I've got, a, I've got a history of like, oh, you can make it happen. So why wouldn't I plan on me making it happen? The problem with that whole deal is, James says, even if you have been successful, you're still guessing at the future. It's still a guess. It's still like, a, it's still like trying to predict the weather. It's, there, it's really no way I can predict it. Now, many of you, including myself, may have went to your retirement advisor and said, now that COVID-19 has hit, would you please move some stuff around? No way. I can anticipate. Do you see where I'm going here? It didn't matter how successful I was in the past. I couldn't have predicted 2020. Now, when I grew up, we had the eight ball that you could shake in your bedroom Lord, is she the right one for me? (laughs) Oh, yeah. But past success does not always determine future success. Because James is saying, you don't know. There's none of us that really know. He said, you're making all these plans based on what you've done in the past. Where they get that, well, we've done this before. We've, we always go to this town or that town this time of year. We always spend about this much time. And we always make a profit. And then 2020 came. How many of you thought in January you would be waking up watching to see if your neighbor got two bundles of toilet paper or one? I thought... In, 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 in April of this year, everybody had food. No one had toilet paper. I mean, if we were smart, we'd have told people stop eating. <laughs> I've got a little space in my house where we just stack it up now. Stack it up. Lord, we're going to be prepared for the next pandemic. We are in such a perfect time to talk about this. Because so much of this year, you could have never fathomed what happened that way. I could go to the grocery store, I could buy as much peanut butter as I want. I could go to the grocery store, I could buy as much Diet Coke as I want. Now you've found my two staple food groups. I can go to the store and buy pretty much what I want except toilet paper and paper towels. If somebody was visiting from another planet, they would say, I don't know what what is happening. I don't either. We have a virus going. Well, why is there a shortage of toilet? I don't know. Nobody planned on that. We plan on being successful this year. Well, I can tell you in every circumstance, toilet paper is pivotal to success. So at best, 
When you sat down last year to plan out this year, you were guessing. And your past success did not determine future success. Here's what I started figuring out. In America, we do this thing with success where it becomes the end game. Here's what I found. Success can often suffocate the voice of God. The problem was not that these people were going to be or were trying to be successful is that, but they were trying to be successful without God. They were saying, well, we've done this before. We don't need to inquire. We don't need to ask God if there's going to be a pandemic. We don't need to ask God if it would be smart to have three rolls of toilet paper in every bathroom this year before it's, we don't need to ask God anything. We've got this down. We don't need to rely. We don't need to pray. We don't need, we just, we've done it before. I've been successful. I know how this works. Why would I pray about it? Why would I ask God about it? Past success can suffocate the voice of God. Arrogance can come when success is repeatable without consulting God. Here's the problem. And this is what we do in America and in the American church. We always are in danger with associating success with the favor of God and failure with the absence of his favor. I'll say it again. When we're successful, we always say God is with us. When we fail, we say God is apart from us. Now, I don't know about you, but there's, if that's our philosophy, there's some tricky stories to deal with in scripture. I don't remember Job sinning before calamity came to his household. I don't remember God leaving him before all hell broke loose on his family. This idea that if I'm successful, it automatically God, means that God put the stamp of approval on it. What the American church has done is we've deemed success as the approval of God, but we haven't actually measured what the success took to get, how we got there. And so what happens over and over and over again in the American church is we sacrifice the things that God really, really cares about for the things that he doesn't give a rip about. What does it profit a man? If he gained the whole world and lost his own soul. We could add to that. What does it profit me if the church grows and I lose my family? What does it profit you if you get the promotion, lose everything else? But we've convinced ourselves. I've convinced myself that as long as I'm making more money and doing more things and being more successful and more successful, then God is with me. And God's standing back going, hey, you're missing the whole thing. I've seen preachers put their whole life in growing a church only to lose their own family. To lose their health. To lose friends. For the sake of what they think is the will of God. I've seen people do it for the sake of a paycheck. I've seen people do it for the sake of status and notoriety. I've seen people do it where they will forsake everything. Oh, but God's with me because I'm being successful. James says, hey, wait, 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 wait. Just because you can go off to a town and buy and sell and make a little profit doesn't mean God wants you to do it. Uh, Yeah, but Lord, come on. Come on, you know I've got to do it. Here's the proof. Jesus, Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Put that verse up there. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. This is an important thing. Jesus stops and talks to a rich young ruler. The Bible calls him a rich young ruler. He, was, he had position 
and he had money. Position and money. What else do you want? Yeah, position and money. Jesus stops him. They have a, or he stops Jesus. They have a conversation. And, and, G, and he's asking Jesus, how, what do I got to do to be perfect? Jesus told him a couple commandments. And he goes, man, I've been keeping them since I was a kid. I never broke one of those commandments. So now you feel it. Don't you, you feel the conversation turning in his favor? That's so awesome. I knew I was all right. I knew I was successful. I've been in leadership since I was young. And now I've, now I've got some money to back it up. And now I'm standing in front of this guy that everybody thinks is the stuff. And he's telling me that I've been doing it right. That I've, I've been keeping those commandments since I was a little kid. You see how it comes? Success, success, success. And then a little bit of arrogance pops in there. I've been keeping those since I was a young man. Then verse 21, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Wait, we just skipped a little very important part between those two commas. Sometimes Jesus tells you to stop the successful thing because he loves you. Can I say that again? Sometimes Jesus may steer you away from what looks like success, not because he's trying to punish you, but because he loves you. But because he loves you, he says, hey, wait a second. Don't run all the way down that road. Don't sacrifice everything just to keep going that way. Because he loved him. So, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Don't go to the next one yet. He says, so what? This doesn't make any sense. Does this make any sense to you? Doesn't make any sense to me. Like, the guy said he'd been following the commandments that Jesus wanted him to follow. He'd been successful as a young man. He had been, he's in leadership and he's got money. It's everything that you would think was what you should be doing at the time. And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, hey, I love you. Now, if you want to be complete, ah, wait a second. He didn't say successful. Some of those translations say complete. If you want to be, if you want to be perfect. In this, the ESV, he says, you lack one thing. He says, you still got something to work on here. Wait a second. I thought I was successful. Jesus said, no, you're not. You look successful, but you haven't, haven't gotten it all together. You're still guessing. You're still trying to figure it out. I'm going to tell you how to get it right. And what does he tell him? He tells him to do something that doesn't look successful. You know where that hurts me? Right here. He said, no, 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 no. All this stuff you've been chasing, at the end of the day, that's not what it's about. And at the best, you're guessing at where you're going to be next year, how you're going to get it done. You're just guessing. If you want to be complete, come follow me. I seem to remember a scripture where Jesus said, don't worry about what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. For God knows that you need all these things. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus said, this, the, the order of success in heavenly realms is that you follow him first. So when he says, I love you, sell everything and follow me. We have the right response. Go to verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
Why don't you scratch out possessions, put success there? I can't walk away from that. I can't give that up. James in chapter four is warning the church Don't run so far down that road, so far away from God with the buying and selling and success. Don't run so far away that you can't come back, that you can't inquire of him. He said, you don't know what you're doing. Even if it looks like you know what you're doing. He said, there's no way you can predict it. No way you could have predicted 2020. No one could have predicted it. No one could predict how you would end up working in your job. No one could predict if you lost your job. No one could predict the company you worked for could have been planning in January to give everybody raises. And then all of a sudden, James is saying, you don't know enough to predict anything. And you know what? That hurts my ego sometimes because I can look at James and say, but I've been so successful back here. I know all of this stuff. Why wouldn't I be successful? He said, Chris, you don't know what's coming. There's no way for you to know. So if success is the only thing I'm looking for, when success is gone, what do I do? Jesus tells the rich young ruler, I'm going to break you of this before you get too old. It's easier to teach you when you're young that when you put a whole lifetime in this and ruined a bunch of things, I'm going to teach you while you're young. Hey, if you want true riches, you follow me. Sell everything you have. No. Listen, I don't want any emails. Don't go home and tell your neighbor. Pastor just told me to sell everything and give it to the poor. I ain't going, I'm going to another church next week. It's not what I said. We're going to get to it. James is saying, be careful with the planning thing. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful not including God. When we always associate success with the will of God and failure with missing his plan, we, we throw the whole will of God in a tizzy. And this man figured it out right there. God's will for you is not just success and failure. It's in faithfulness. That means even in failure, you could still be in God's will. Oh, that's not the gospel I like though. I like the gospel where I win every time. And I could say in Jesus' name, make it better. And it just happens. Don't you like that gospel? Where you can pull the little pixie dust out of your pocket and say, in Jesus' name, sprinkle it on there. Your boss turns into a nice person. Some of those godly times in my life were where I was failing. where I couldn't plan, where I didn't have the energy to plan, where I didn't have enough smarts to plan, but I was totally reliant on God because I couldn't, I couldn't even come up with a solution. I am dangerous when I can find out solutions by myself. Oh, I'm dangerous. But when I got to a place in my life where there was nothing I could physically do to affect change in what I was working on, I realized that when I am weak, he is strong. And I realized that no plan of his could be thwarted, Job will say. I realized that what James says is, hey, you planned all this stuff out, but you failed. You failed to seek after the will of God. And at the lowest times of my life, I realized the will of God is the most important thing I could be looking after. So James is warning us, don't guess. 
Don't just guess at it. You don't have to guess. You don't have to guess. Proverbs 19.21 Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Saying the same thing James says. Don't just go out and make a bunch of plans and think they're just going to happen. So what happens with that? We got all this past success. We've been buying and selling. We've been going to this town, that town. James says the problem is you haven't inquired of God, but you become boastful about your arrogance. Now that sounds like a strange comment there. He said in verse 14, he said, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such evil is boasting. The business people that James was talking about ignored the fact that they could control very little of what they planned. And in reality, we make, we make plans out in a year. I've got plans out for the next three years. But here's what I figured out this year. The amount of control I have over those plans is ends at the end of my ink pen. When I write them down, I realize I can't control it. Watch another example of this, Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Boasting in our arrogance. Jesus, and he told the pair, them a parable, this is Jesus, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? <laughs> That's how rich people laugh. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, rich people talk to themselves too. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. This guy was planning for as far off as he could see. His past success made him arrogant in his abilities. Started bragging about it. This is what I'm capable of. I am so good at this. I'm just going to store it up and I'm going to just relax for as far off as I can see. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. It is not rich toward God. Church, I need you to understand something. This is not just about greed. God, God doesn't care if, in, if you in his will have a bunch of money. That's not his concern. His concern is, is your heart torn, turned towards him or is it boastful in the arrogance of what you're able to accomplish? That's the concern of God. Whether you have a million dollars in the bank or 10, God is not worried about that because he says he can provide for you according to his riches and glory. So what you currently have is not his concern. Your mentality about what you have is his concern. How did you get it? What will you do with it? Am I turning my will towards his or am I boasting as James says about how I, man, I've just been really good at this. James says boasting in their arrogance. I started thinking, you're going to brag about being arrogant? Wow, that's conceited. He's saying, 
You become so good at, at just thinking for yourself and just planning this thing out that you become boastful about it. He said, almost like a warning, don't do that. Don't be that confident in your own ability. Don't do that. Don't do that. God wants you to trust in him and him alone. So this isn't just about greed. It's about our self-reliance. And as Americans, we think we can pull it off. God wants us to do the right thing. He wants us to do good works. He wants us to be successful. But he wants it to come out of a relationship with him, not a dependence on our own strength. When we omit God from our planning, we assume we know enough to plan. And we know enough to control. I started thinking about it like this. Just in scripture, it's about 2,000 years back to Jesus. And then thousands and thousands and thousands of years. What's the average lifespan today? 75, 76 years old, somewhere around there. My grandparents live, they're still alive, 91 years old. I think I'm going to make it a while. Maybe. Who knows? Average lifespan. 75 years. Let's just settle on 75. Average lifespan, 76. How arrogant is it? You, you do realize, God, there was no beginning. Have you ever heard that? That God didn't start anywhere. Just was and is and always will be. There's no ending. So think, think about this. <clears throat> Even if I make it to 91, in the scope of eternity, I'm not even a toddler yet. And I have spent more time telling God what I'm going to do. Do you remember having toddlers? When they told you you were going to do something, they were going to do something, and you just said, shut your mouth and go to your room. You're three. Maybe even in 91, we're three. I started, when I was studying this, I started realizing that to me, looking up to God, telling him what I've, Lord, I've planned and I've got experience. And God's just like, <laughs> in what? Oh, in that one little thing you do, in that one little town you do it in, in that one little group of people you do it with? Oh, that experience, that, that 20 years. Oh, that's cute, Chris. Oh, widow quiz, got a widow experience. Oh, isn't that cute? God just starts talking to me like a little kid. Oh. You know what happened to Job after all of his suffering? You get to chapter 42 of Job after all of his suffering. You know what he realizes? After he had lost everything. The Bible says that when one, on that day when one servant came in and gave him bad news, before he was done talking, the next servant would come in right behind him and tell him more bad news. His whole life crumbled down around him. The most successful guy anybody had ever seen at that point in time. Righteous, following after God. And yet his life looked like an utter catastrophe at the end of one day. Losing everything he had. You get to the end of Job chapter 42 and Job says this, no plan of yours can be thwarted. After all that I've walked through, 
I figured out that you know a lot more than I do. After all that I've walked through, this little teeny blip on the spectrum of humanity, I realized that you have always been in control, that nothing that you have willed to happen has ever been affected by me. Job, after all of his suffering, realized that at the end of the day, God knew a lot more than he did. You know what we'd be smart as a church to figure that out before we had the Job experience? To wake up every morning and go, God, according to James, I'm like a mist. I'm a blip. I'm, I'm just in such a short period of time compared to eternity. And Lord, today I pretend to know nothing. I, I don't, I'm not acting. I'm coming to you with a heart open. I'm thinking this is what I might do. But your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Teach me your ways. Give me your wisdom. Let me think with the wisdom of God. Oh, this goes back to what we talked about last week, where James is saying, don't be stupid with the wisdom of this world, just running around, doing all this stuff, acting like you're successful without God. He's saying, you have to inquire of the Lord. So we guess a lot, then we brag about it. We boast a lot. And James says, instead, we should do this. One little phrase, verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. (laughs) James is not saying you should look up to God and say, Lord, I planned out the next five years. If the Lord wills, thank you. He's not saying like they used to old times, just say, Lord will and the creek don't rise. Which I told the first service, that really confused me because if the Lord's willing, why would the creek rise? Why did it just say if the Lord wills? Forget about the creek. James isn't saying, here's a catchphrase just to throw in your next prayer, if the Lord wills. He's going back to what he told you to pray before. The reason we, the church wasn't getting what they wanted is because they prayed with the wrong motives. Remember we talked about it last week. Where, where Jesus said, pray anything according to my will, to his will, and it will be given to us. So James is following up on that whole line. You ask and you don't get because you ask wrongly. And we talked about that, how we have to pray the will of God. James has not left that thought process. He said, now when you plan out your life, when you plan on being successful, don't leave godly wisdom. Don't leave the idea that we still need the will of God in our lives. Because not all success is godly success. And not all failure is from Satan. So he's saying plan your lives, but plan it with the will of God. Plan it with the will of God. Plan it with the will of God. When's the last time you really sat down and presented your plans before the Lord and said, Lord, I want to do your will more than I want to do anything else. I want to do your will. I want to seek first the kingdom of God and let you figure out all this stuff. At the end of the day, God is the ultimate designer of our lives. I told you Job, Job addressed this in his lament after losing everything. In verse chapter 23, verse 10, he says, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall, become, I shall come out as gold. You know what? That's the ultimate statement of faith. Hey man, I don't know what's going on right now, but God does. God knows. 
God knows. I don't know if I'm going to be wearing masks six months from now. I don't know if I'm going to still be telecommuting into work. I don't know if I'm going to still be doing this. I don't know if my kids are going to be getting all out. I don't know anything. But the Lord knows. So guess what? I'm not just going to flippantly run out and start making plans because I was successful last year. I had toilet paper last year. I'm going to seek the will of God in my life. I'm going to make sure that what I'm getting ready to do lines up with what he wants me to do. I'm not telling you to lay out your calendar wait on God to delete the things he doesn't want off your iPhone. I'm asking you to use godly wisdom. Use godly wisdom when you're mapping out your life. Get into the word of God. Know it. Know it in a way that it impacts your decisions. Know it in a way that money doesn't drive everything you do. Know it in a way that success doesn't drive everything you do. Know it in a way that well done, thou good and faithful servant will be enough. James says this, stand to your feet. We're going to jump into chapter five all of a sudden. He says, you should inquire of God before you make plans. And then, and then it seems like this weird thing. In the beginning of verse five, he just interjects. I don't think he's talking to the church anymore. I think he's talking to ungodly people. Starting in chap, chapter five, verse one. I think, he, I think he switches. And he just injects this little judgment, condemnation thing in there. And I'm like, what is that? But I think it's for a purpose. I think he's trying to show the church, this is where this type of mentality ultimately goes. Here's the way people plan outside of the church and what their motivations are outside of the church. And if you're not careful, this is where you end up. If we're not careful, all the success, all the, yes, I did it, I did it, I did it. This is where we can end up. So he's, he's painting a picture for the church. Verse one, chapter five. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. And you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. I think James is using the example of of what happens to, to people outside the church when they just run after success and run after all these things that seem so important. Void of God. He's telling the church, hey, you better pay attention. You better pay attention. I know it's so intoxicating. Just go off and do all these things because we're good at it. He said... I need you to inquire of God. I need you to make sure you're carrying that same godly wisdom. Because at the end of the day, I'm telling you at the end of the day, when we stand before God, it's not going to matter what your bank account looks like. It's just not. It's not going to matter how successful you were with your company. It's not going to matter if you were able to work for yourself your whole life and make a pile. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is were we faithful to what he called us to do. Because it's either be well done, thou good and faithful servant, or depart from me. There's no, there's no other, like, hey, you did pretty good. Got a pile of money. I'm so, so excited. Was it?
was I faithful? Was I faithful? Was I faithful? That's it. Was I faithful? So James is imploring the church. I want you to go out and be successful, but more than that, I want you to be faithful to what he's called you to do. So make sure you find that out. And I believe this year more than ever before has proved that out. Amen? That you can't plan enough. That you can't strategize enough to cover everything. But the one who knows the beginning from the end already knows. And he say, come to me. Come to me. I'll direct your steps. I'll light your path. I'll lead you in righteousness. And that's his promise to us. Amen. Can we pray like that this morning? Father, we thank you. God, you have been so good to us. You've been so faithful to us. And God, oftentimes in this land of plenty that we live in, Lord, we can get sidetracked. We can start relying on ourselves. We can start relying on our own success, God. And we want to be a people whose heart is turned after you. We want to be a people that filters everything we do through your will. So that's our prayer today, if the Lord wills. God, we want you to go before us. We don't want you tagging along like just somebody there to help us out. We want you to lead us, Lord. Lead us in our families. Lead us in our jobs. Lead us in our future, God. Lay it out in front of us, Lord. And we want to bring honor to the great name of Jesus. And we want to lift him up with our lives. And we want to hear at the end, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We thank you for it, God. I pray your Holy Spirit empower us to hear you. 